This is the Life Truth Network. Truth Exposed, Episode 55. Truth Exposed, a feature of Quest for Truth where we take a deep dive into Scripture. Now located at life-truth.com. And now, here are your hosts, Keith Heltsley and Nathan Caldwell. Hey everybody, it is Craig. This is your host Keith, and it is time for another episode of Truth Exposed. Hey, it's the episode that we do once a month where we take a deep dive into Scripture to do an expository look at, uh, in this case, the book of John, chapter 15. We're starting in verse 1. There's a lot to say, even though we make it to verse 6. So, actually, a lot longer than I thought it was going to end up being. Um, and so, I won't say an awful lot of introductory notes to get things started, other than to remind folks, as if we need to by now, that we are part of the Christian Podcast Community.com. And uh, we are part of a whole bunch of other podcasters. I forgot how many, I don't have many, that many fingers and toes to count them all up. But you'll find at least a handful of them that sound like the voices you're about to hear. Are you living an abundant life? Jesus came to give us eternal life. Yes but also an abundant life here and now, overflowing with the fruit of the Spirit. The Abundant Life Podcast encourages and challenges Christians to spiritual change and growth by applying biblical principles to everyday life. Podcast hosts Sasso Mendez and Ben Ariano discuss various topics that are helpful for Christians and true to the scripture and bring a generous dose of humor. Visit AbundantLife.fm and subscribe to get notified of each new episode. That's AbundantLife.fm. The good news is Striving for Eternity would love to come to your church to spend two days with your folks teaching them biblical hermeneutics. That's right, the art and science of interpreting scripture. The bad news is somebody attending might be really upset to discover Jeremiah 29, 11 should not be their life verse. To learn more, go to strivingforeternity.org to host a Bible interpretation made easy seminar in your area. This is the Bible Sojourner, where we discuss issues related to the Bible, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Peter Gaiman, professor of Old Testament and Biblical Languages at Shepherd's Theological Seminary. Shalom and welcome. Thanks for joining. You can also find out more about me and the Bible Sojourner blog and podcast at petergaiman.com. And you can also find out more about Shepherd's Theological Seminary at shepherds.edu. Who knows, maybe you could take a class with uh, Mike and I. So I look forward to uh, seeing your interactions with this book online. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Hey, this is Keith. Let me just open up with a few remarks before we get going. Uh, 
Uh, for one thing, uh, Jay Runner McGee has some lengthy statements to make to some background of the, what's happening here. The only thing I would like to o- open up with is that, although this is part of a group of passages called the Upper Room Discourse, and some theologians and scholars will say that's where it took place. The thing that makes me think that it did not is in the closing uh, statements in chapter 14, Jesus basically told his disciples, come on, let's get up and go somewhere else. Uh, and and it would make sense that they did leave at that point. And this uh, session could have easily been given as they traveled uh, out of the city and back up to uh, Garden of Gethsemane, where they would eventually wind up. There is a statement that Javar McGee makes that I would disagree with. He talks about having it be a full moon because it was Passover. Now, someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but all the Passovers and all the Jewish feasts took place on the new moon and not the full moon. Because the full moon is when pagans would do their uh, reveling and celebrating, and they were commanded to not do that. And so God made all their feasts be on a new moon, not a full moon. Uh, I don't know if he just uh, misspoke with that, uh, but that's one thing I would disagree with him about. There's another statement I initially uh, would disagree with, and that has to do with uh, you know the vine and the fruits and salvation and so forth. Uh, we'll get to that. We get to that. But let me just say that even though I initially disagree with uh, J. Vernon McGee's statements, he actually explained himself well. And I will gladly change my um, thoughts on that uh, and to agree with him. But uh, again, we'll get there as we get there. So let's um, have a look at what's going to be happening here. Uh, in uh, verse 1, right after Javer McGee uh, and Nathan Caldwell uh, share some opening thoughts here. Now, friends, we come today to the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John. And this is still in the upper room discourse. However, our Lord did not give this in the upper room. At least the assumption is that he did not, because the last statement he made in chapter 14 is, Arise, let us go hence. Now, did they go immediately out of the upper room? It is assumed, of course, that they did. However, he could have given John 15 in the upper room, but it doesn't seem likely to me that that is the way it took place. Now, somewhere between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane, our Lord gave John 15 and 16. And then John 17 is the prayer that he prayed. He probably prayed this prayer on the way out to the garden, and it probably was as he entered the garden. This is not the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane that we have in John 17. Now, the thing I think would be helpful would be to try to locate the place where our Lord gave John 15 when he began by saying, I am the true vine, 
and my father is the husbandman. Now, it has been the belief of a great many expositors that our Lord gave this part of the Upper Room Discourse down in the valley of Kidron or on the side of the hill there or the side of the Mount of Olives because we know at that time there was a vineyard in that area that covered that valley. We also know that it was full moon because it was Passover, and it couldn't have been Passover if it hadn't have been full moon. And so there in the full moon with that vineyard before them, our Lord said, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Now, he could have well have done that, and that would have been an appropriate place. But there has been another suggestion made, and it has been made by several of the English expositors, and very candidly, it's the one I accept, that that night he went by the temple. And following the law as meticulously as he did, I'm of the opinion that he went by the temple that night. The gates were open all night on this Passover night. And at the temple, there were the gates there. Those beautiful gates of the temple were really a tourist attraction. They had been forged over in Greece. They had been floated across the Hellespont and then brought to Jerusalem and put into Herod's temple there. They were made of bronze, the gates were, and that was woven into the gate with gold. There was woven in there a golden vine, and that vine was the badge of the nation Israel. The fact of the matter is that vine stood for the nation Israel. There's probably no figure of speech that is so appropriate as the vine that sets forth this nation. It became a badge of the nation, just like the burning bush is, and I think just like the olive tree is. But it's quite definite, so stated in Scripture, the Old Testament, that the vine set forth the nation Israel. Listen now to several Scriptures. Psalm 80, verses 8 and 9. Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. Thou preparest room before it, and didst cause it to take deep root, and it fill the land. Now, it's obvious that he's talking about the nation Israel and using the vine. And if you have any doubts about that, turn to Isaiah 5, and that actually is a psalm, and it begins like this. Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it, and gathered out the stones thereof, and planted it with the choicest vine, and built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a winepress therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. Now notice verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. 
Now, friends, that makes it specific. There's no way of dodging or avoiding the fact that the vine was Israel. Now, he says here in Jeremiah 2, verse 21, I had planted thee a noble vine, holy a ripe seed. How then art thou turned into the degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me? And then finally, in Hosea, the 10th chapter, verse 1, Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself. Now, I think it's quite clear that the vine is a picture of the nation Israel. Well, you're going to hear traffic. You might even hear my son. Yeah. Well, hey, we're here to read, though, out of the Bible. And so... In John 15, starting with verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Dr. Robinson says Jesus himself is the vine. He used the term true vine in verse 1 to indicate that he was the fulfillment of many illustrations in the Old Testament that referred to Israel as a vine. He was not teaching that Israel was a false vine, but that he is the true fulfillment of the promises of God. So that was from Dr. Robinson. All right. I think we're ready for John 15, verse 1. And I will be reading this from New American Standard Bible. Um, It reads, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. This is pretty simple, straightforward. I am the true vine. And uh, J. Vernon McGee says it so eloquently, <laughs> and even Nathan Caldwell does too, uh, that the vine meant Israel. And, and the thinking of Jesus' time, the disciples would have immediately recognized the vine as being Israel. And there's even some verses, uh, Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, other places, uh, where I think uh, Dr. McGee will quote from them more detail. But the thing there is, regardless of the vine, sometimes the vine is painted in a good picture. God's taking care of it. Sometimes it's painting in a not so great picture where it's a useless vine and it needs to be uh, pruned or dug up or replanted or whatever. But it's always uh, the nation of Israel. But what does Jesus mean? This is really to them a a a controversial thing. He He's saying he is not only the vine, but the true vine. And true is where we get our word for allegiance, um, you know, loyal, faithful vine. And what my takeaway on this is that what he's saying is that sure, Israel is the vine, but this is what Israel would look like if Israel actually obeyed. <laughs> they would look like Christ being divine, uh, but, it, but it also takes it to a higher level and makes the vine divine, uh, not just a, a human uh, worldly vine. It's actually a, a more higher plane. And of course, the later part of that verse is uh, his father is the vine dresser in NASB and the husbandman in KJV. All that really means is farmer. The Greek word there just means farmer, land worker. 
and uh, it could be used in a wide variety of agricultural farm. But of course, we're talking about a vine, so why not be a vine dresser? Uh, but there's also relationships being set up here. And, and Jesus is all about relationships. In the previous chapter and all through his teachings, he always related you know, his father and, and him. He doesn't do anything his father doesn't do or say what his father doesn't say. And he passes that down to his apostles, these disciples, uh, that he wants them to relate to him as he relates to the father. Uh, and, and keep this uh, relationship going. And this is uh, my takeaway there on this first verse. Now, our Lord in the upper room, friends, is saying one of the most revolutionary things that you've ever heard. That is, for those men in that day, this was strange to their ears. It sounds so familiar to us today. Will you listen to him? And I want to change this just a little. I am the true vine. The word true here is a lathene. And a thing can be true in one of two ways. It can be true over against error or falsehood. But it can be true over against that which is a counterfeit. And that's the way it's used here. And I think a better translation would be this. I am the genuine vine. In other words, the Lord Jesus is saying to these men with their background and their roots deep in the Old Testament, he is saying to them, Now, brethren, to be identified with a religion and with a nation is no longer the essential thing. I am the genuine vine, and to be joined to me. And this is a marvelous figure of speech our Lord used, by the way, so that He's making it very clear, and this is revolutionary, friends, and it's still true today. It is not your identification with a religion or a ceremony or a group or this organization or that. The important thing, are you identified with Christ? Are you in Christ by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which comes the moment you trust Christ as Savior and are born again and become a child of God? He says, I am the genuine vine. And now he says, my father is the husbandman. And in these passages we've given in the Old Testament, God has been the owner of the vineyard, and he's been the one running it. But here he is the one that cultivates it also. And he is the one that does that. And, you know, I think that you have here the vine and the branch. You remember it says of the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament that he grew up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of the dry ground. He's the vine, and we must be joined to him. For what purpose? For fruit bearing. Verse 2. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit he taketh away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So you're talking about if a branch doesn't bear fruit, it's gone. If a branch does bear fruit, then it is pruned and trimmed and made right and made more productive. Sometimes you do have to prune. You have to cut a bit to make it grow better. Um wouldn't trials be a kind of pruning? 
um, God puts us through or allows trials to come to our lives to test us. And that will strengthen us to where we can grow more fruit. Now, when a branch doesn't bear fruit, he takes it away. He removes it. Well, how does he remove it? Well, one of the ways he removes it is by taking that person away from the place of fruit bearing. Now, I know many that have been set aside today that they no longer effective for God at all. They're ministers like that. They are laymen like that today. I don't care about being specific about this, but how true it is. And then there's some that are taken away in death. Now, I believe that that's what John means in his first epistle when he says there's a sin unto death. Now, that means physical death. That means that a Christian can go on into sin until God will remove him from the place of fruit-bearing. Ananias and Sapphira are an example of that. God removed them. I don't think Ananias and Sapphira lost their salvation. I think that they just were removed from the early church that was a fruit-bearing church, a holy church. And these two liars just couldn't stay in that church. Now, they're very comfortable in our churches today, I'll say that. But they couldn't have been in the early church. But what he's talking about here, you see, is taking away a branch that won't bear fruit. And then he says, even when a branch is bearing fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, this word purge is an interesting word. It's been translated prune, of course in many places, and I like that. I think that the thought is here. But actually, the word in the Greek is kathire, and it means to cleanse, and it's to forget that in that day they didn't have the sprays to use, and they actually would take water and they would take some sort of a cloth or hyssop or something, and they would just cleanse the vine with that, just wash the vine when there was aphis on it or bugs or anything like that. It was actually just really washing the vine. So that there were two things that were done, the cleansing and also the pruning, and that was the thing that was done. Now, our Lord prunes. He comes into our lives, and he takes out of our lives those things that offend, and sometimes it hurts when he prunes his friends, and it is something that's very painful. Many times he takes out of your life and my life the things that are hindering us, and I can speak up to that subject. He's done that in my life in two or three different ways, and I know that's what he was doing. He was pruning, and I'm here to confess that it hurt. I'm not sure, but what the Lord was pruning me when he permitted me to have cancer and has permitted it to stay in my body. I'm of the opinion that that's what the Lord is doing. I'm not complaining. I just want him to let me stay around and keep giving out the Word of God, friends. That's the important thing. But I think he prunes us, you know, reaches in. And one of the reasons that so many of God's children are getting hurt 
today, even by this method of pruning, is that they're getting so far from God. They're so far out of fellowship. I think the closer that we get to him, that the better it would be, and it wouldn't hurt so much. What we need to do is to get very close to the Lord in these days. I remember when I was a boy, we on April Fool, why a bunch of us at school played hooky. I personally was a very good boy, but I got with some bad boys, and they played hooky, and so I went with them. And we left our books at school, and then we took off for the creek, and we went fishing. And the creek was up, I remember, this particular time, and we didn't catch any fish, but we sure had a big day. And we came in about time school was out after everybody left, and we decided that the proper thing to do was to go get our books, take them home, so that our parents wouldn't suspect that we'd played hooky. principal of the school, I think, thought we'd do that also, because when we walked in the room, he walked in after us, and he said, boys, I'm glad to see you. Follow me. And we'd been over that trail before, so we followed him to his office, and he said, wait here, while he went to get his switches, and he had some long ones. And one fellow who'd been in there quite a few times, and he really knew his way around, he gave us about the best advice I think that I've ever had. He said, now, when he comes down the first time, don't move away from him, move close to him. Take a step toward him. And you know that is the best advice I think I ever got. So the first time he hit me, I moved right close into him. fact of the matter is, by the time he finished, I was right up where his fist was, and he wasn't hurting me at all. And you know, that was good advice. And I've learned that that's good advice today. The Lord, you know, prunes us. He chastises us, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. It's not a sign that he's against you. He's trying to get fruit out of your life, friend. And you and I begin to move away from him and complain. thing to do is get close to him. And when we get close to him, it won't hurt nearly as much. Okay, now John 15, verse 2. Uh, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. So clearly, if you look at a a vine, or I'm more familiar with trees, uh, same concept. If you see a branch that's just dead, there's no leaves, there's no sign of life compared to all the rest, well, you're going to take you... uh, the boa saw out there and cut out. Your, uh, the verb there is actually uh, to lift it up and take it away. And this is what uh, is happening there. That's one way how to do that because you're not bearing fruit. Now, if, if you are bearing fruit, he doesn't say he leaves you alone to do your thing. If you are bearing fruit, God w- will uh, prune you. Uh, and that word just means that, to prune, to cut back a little bit, uh, and uh, shape that branch so it grows more fruit. Now, there's times, again, you see that dead branch, that's a no-brainer. But you have the branch, you can tell it's just over overloaded with fruit, just uh, just weighting down the branch. But you look at the fruit, and it's all you know, small and puny and not really good-looking. Well, what you do is you go through, and you begin to 
uh, take some small hand shears, you just pluck off various branches, maybe gear about half of them. And then suddenly, you know, it, the sooner a new season you do this, the better. But then over the, the time and the growing season, all the rest of the fruit will grow much more bigger and healthier. And, and God, uh, uh, and I think that verb also is one that says, rightly so, right, God rightly so prunes. He knows exactly uh, which areas uh, that you're a little bit too busy, a little too overcommitted in your life. And he will cut those back a little bit and shape you so that you can produce uh, the best fruit possible and uh, more fruit as possible. And he tells us here now in verse 3. Verse 3 says, Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Friends, that's probably one of the most wonderful things that he said, the cleansing power of the Word of God. Now, we've heard so much today about modern wash day miracles, and I've never found them to be quite as miraculous as they claim to be, but nevertheless, and they are beginning now to pollute our streams, so I think we need a better cleansing agency. I think really the only wash day miracle that there is is the Word of God and the cleansing power of the Word of God. I wonder if you've ever noticed that the emphasis that's put in the Scripture on the cleansing of the Word of God. For instance, over in Second Peter, we are told that he does the cleansing and he also does the removing of the vine also. Now, first, will you notice what he does by removing the vine? He says here in Second Peter, first and verse 8, he says, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor un." fruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this is something that the branch is not to be as unfruitful. And when it is, he'll remove it. Now, I'm going to deal with that in just a few moments. But now I want you to notice the cleansing power of the Word of God. And this is something that I think is very important to know today. The Word of God cleanses us, by the way, in the new birth. Back in First Peter, in the first chapter, you will recall the thing that is said there. First Peter 1, let me read beginning verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere love of the brethren, love one another earnestly from the heart. You have been born anew, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. How wonderful that is, the power of the Word of God. But also the Word of God has power to cleanse us. And you remember that the psalmist asks the question and then answers it. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. How important that is. And then over in Second Corinthians, the seventh chapter, verse 1, listen to this. Having therefore these promises. What promises? The ones that are in the word of God. 
let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. There are light views today among believers that you can live any kind of a life and that just so you're fundamental and saved by the grace of God. Well, believe me, God uses the Word of God to reveal to us that we are in darkness. And I've learned this a long time ago, that a great many of these super pious saints, and friends, I was a pastor for a long time, these super pious saints, several of them I've noticed carry the biggest Bible around under their arm you've ever seen. And they generally never have a sense of humor, very pious, but they're really not interested in the Word of God. I've observed over the years they never did attend Bible study. They never were interested in the Word of God. In fact, they resented it. They really, down in their hearts, they hated the Word of God. And that was, I think, the real test. And my friend, that's the only thing today that reveals whether a person, I think, is genuine, is his relationship to the Word of God, and whether it's having its way in his life. Now, God intends for us to be obedient to him, by the way, and that there should be fruit in our lives. Now, the psalmist says here in Psalm 119, listen to verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now that I kept thy word. And then in verse 71 of Psalm 119, it's good for me that I've been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Now, he cleanses the branch. And how does he cleanse it? Why, well, he cleanses it by the Word of God. And my friends, he uses many times affliction to bring us to the Word of God that you and I might be made serviceable to him. Now, the Word of God is a cleansing agent for us today. And I don't think that you'll ever keep clean before God if you don't come to the Word of God and study the Word of God. And that's my reason for believing. These people that are reluctant to study the Word of God today and are as active as beavers in our churches today, they always take offices, and they're dangerous. The fact of the matter is, I consider them the most dangerous element today against the Word of God in the cause of Christ in this world. My friend, we need to get close to the Word of God. Let's read verse 3. Oh, and by the way, I really appreciate that analogy that uh, Dr. McGee gave about his school teacher. And, you know, when you're getting chastened by your master, as he described, it does help to move in close, the closer you get to God, even when he is chastening, uh, the blows do seem to fall softer. But uh, let's continue here with verse 3. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And there's a good uh, thing that Dr. McGee points out, that besides cutting away you know, totally cutting away and rightfully pruning. God also cleanses. He purifies. And what happens? What? How does it happen? It's because of the Word of God, uh, the teachings of God, the Scripture, God's Word. Uh, as we read Scripture, the more we read Scripture, it's like, you know, a cleansing. Uh, not only have we been pruned, we've been 
cleaned. And I never thought about it, but the reason why they did that, as he mentioned, is it was kind of medicating. You know, these days we have uh, sprays you can spray on your crops and trees, and it keeps you know, the worms and other things away. But then they would, literally would wash them. I didn't really realize that. But that's good to know. And the comparison is good to the Word of God, that the more we're into that Word, the more we can be cleansed to bear the best undiseased fruit. Verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. This is a very important thing to remember. It's an important picture. It's an important application. Uh, it's a very important truth. And that is that we can do nothing apart from Christ in the same manner that if you cut a branch off of a vine, it's going to die. It dies. If I cut a limb off of a tree out here, unless it's some fancy tree, <laughs> or something, it's going to die. It's not going to live. Why? Because it has been cut apart from the true source of its life. Jesus is the true source of life. Anyone who is not part of him does not have life. If you do not have Jesus, you do not have life. And you can do all sorts of things. And you can even say you're doing them for God. But if Jesus is not your Savior, and I'm talking about truly your Savior, you can say it all you want. But unless you have trusted Christ and him alone for your salvation... Any works you do, if you haven't trusted Christ, are worthless. They don't count. And in the end, they will bring death. Just like if I cut a stem... Oh, he's having a good time, isn't he? If I cut a stem off of a rose bush... I can put it in water for a little bit and it'll 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 bloom for a little bit but eventually it's going to start dying. Why? Because it's been separated from the source of its life. Now, I'm not saying we can be separated from Christ. Once we are in Christ, we are forever in Christ. I'm a firm believer in that and Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that. And I'm sure there are many other places that tells us that. But it is the illustration that if there is no vine, if you're not part of that vine, then anything you do is going to be worthless. Eventually it will lead to death. <laughs> oh, he's having a good old time. 
You see that face? He is just enjoying watching those cars and trucks go by. You you're you having fun? You having fun? Fun? You said fun. He's having fun, yeah. I remember mama telling me, my wife telling me he loves he loves watching these cars go down. I don't know why. Abide in me and I in you, as the fruit cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abide in the vine. And one more time, Aaron. Yeah, where'd it go? One more time. So I can find him. Uh oh. Well, I'm off the thing here somehow. Here we go. Oh, come on. I keep doing that. Six. John 15. Microphone on. Good top. Next heading. Next heading. I'll go back on a regular PC cursor. Now to help. Okay. One, three, verse four. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you, unless you abide in me. Now, what is this abiding? Well, this really should be a no-brainer. To uh, abide just means to live in, to reside in, uh, to comfortably uh, stay put. <laughs> to live a comfortable life in. Um, and so what does that mean, abide? Well, it just means to keep on keeping on, to keep on doing what you're supposed to be doing. And uh, it's talking about the branch. For it to be a productive branch, you expect it's going to stay attached to your your tree. Uh, and uh, this is, and I and you, well, if you think about how uh, you know salvation is described, uh, there's an interchangeable phrasing where we we say we have Christ in us, or we are in Christ, or the Holy Spirit is in us, or we are in the Holy Spirit. There is a, a mutual intertwined relationship, and if you think about branches attached to a tree or a vine, it isn't. They don't just like click into place like attaching two magnets or two Lego pieces or, you know, scotch taped on there. They have fibers that intertwine. They run from the trunk to the branch, from the branch to the trunk. And for a branch to grow, it has to maintain that bond. If it was to somehow break, then you would suffer and you either would not produce any fruit or maybe you might produce a little bit, but it just wouldn't be the same. You would literally be disabled in what you could produce. Um, but there's relationships here. 
He's comparing vines and branches, and he's comparing uh, the disciple to Jesus. There's a relationship. And if we didn't already know that the branches were uh, talking about people, namely the apostles, well, here he kind of puts it out there that you are branches and I am the vine. Uh, namely the, the apostles. Now, to some degree, it applies to any believer, but he's at this point specifically speaking to his apostles, and he's developing this relationship. Uh, we have to stay, just like a, a branch stays attached, uh, so uh, do we need to stay attached? Verse 5, Jesus again says, I am the vine. I am the vine. You are the branches. He that abides in me, and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Please notice that this is the second time he has alluded to the fact that without the vine, nothing valuable can be achieved. He says here, I'm the vine, you're the branches, he that abideth in me. Now, you see, you've been joined to him by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but you have a free will, and you can break that fellowship. You can break that fellowship by not abiding in him, by sin in your life, by stepping out of the will of God, by worldliness. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing." Now, he wants to get much fruit in your life. And it's the same thing that he gave in that parable of the sower. The sower, you remember, sowed some seed that fell on good ground. And on the good ground, some brought forth thirtyfold. That's fruit. Some brought forth sixtyfold. That's more fruit. Some brought forth a hundredfold. That's much fruit. Now, he wants much fruit. Now, he says, if a man abide not in me, he's cast forth as a branch, and is withered. Men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. Now, somebody said, when you mentioned last time that that had to do with our fruit bearing and had nothing to do with salvation, do you know that? And may I say to you, I know that. Paul made that very clear over in 1 Corinthians under another figure of speech. He told about that there's no foundation can any man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now he says, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. Now we're talking about the works of believers. We're talking about fruit and the life of the believer. For the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Well, if a man builds with gold, silver, precious stone, fire actually purifies it, draws off the draws. Now, what about wood, hay, and stubble? Well, that all goes up in smoke. That's the same that he's talking about here. Men gather them, cast them into the fire, and they're burned. That's the works we're talking about now, the so-called fruit of any man. Now, he says here, if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. And I believe that you're only get a reward for the fruit that's in your life 
And that you didn't produce, he produced it. And that, my friend, is through the exercise of a gift that God gives to you. That is fruit-bearing in the life of a believer. Now he says, though, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. You see, you don't lose your salvation, but he himself shall be saved, so is by fire. And I like to put it like this. There are going to be people in heaven that are going to smell just like they were bought at a fire sale. And they were, by the way, because everything they did, that branch there that should have been a fruit-bearing branch, why the whole thing is consumed. But the person is saved, my friend. We're talking about fruit-bearing here, how you can get much fruit. And the Lord wants us to be fruit-bearing Christian. I think one of the saddest things is that the average Christian believes that normal Christian living is failure and that uh, live on a low plane, or even if you produce any fruit at all, it'll just be fruit, and that producing much fruit is entirely out of the question, and it's not. He wants us to produce fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There he's driving this point home that... Uh, he repeats himself that he is the vine. We are the branches. He's hammering home that he's not just talking about uh, plants. <laughs> he's comparing plants to people. And there's a relationship, a hierarchy. That he is the vine. He's the root. He is the main thing. We are what's attached to that. We are subordinate to him. And to abide, to stay stuck and remaining adhering to Jesus uh, and uh, Jesus abiding in the branch, you will bear much fruit because apart from that branch, you can do nothing at all. And uh, I won't get into a lot of explanation because uh, J. Vernon McGee has an awful lot to say. He also cross-references some things that uh, lead up to some important concepts here regarding uh, salvation uh, and even works. And it'll really come to a head on what that means about being productive uh, Christians in our Christian life. And I think here's the thing that he talks about, about, uh, you know, what the average Christian thinks that if all we do is abide, that somehow we're living a losing life, a losing battle. And he points out that's just not the case. And I won't say more. I'll let him uh, speak for himself on that matter. Listen to the way he describes it in verse 6. If a man, in verse 6, Jesus says, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Why? Because they're dead. They're dead. Now somebody says, ooh, that sounds like you lose your salvation. Didn't we just say we're not talking about salvation? We're talking about fruit bearing. We're talking about that which is the result of being saved. Now, to begin with, what is fruit? 
And I think it's very important to determine what the fruit is. Now, I do not believe that fruit here is soul winning, as so many people seem to think. I believe that is the byproduct of it. But the fruit, of course, is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, mind. That's the fruits of the Spirit that are in the believer's life. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as their branch and dries up, and they gather them, and they cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Wow. Now, uh, if anyone does not abide, thrown away, that's the word, uh, word means that, it's thrown. <laughs> you take it, you throw it like a ball. Uh, you throw it away, the, the useless uh, branch, and you dry up. Uh, and those dried up branches, well, there's nothing, nothing more to do except for burn them, especially with the grapevine. You can't use that wood for anything. Uh, and that's it. Now, uh, I really, and here's one of the things that I changed my mind on, uh, as I mentioned early on, uh, where I first disagreed with J. Vernon McGee, and I thought, well, it makes sense because if I always think about the branches as being the individual people who are attached to, to Christ. And, and if you detach yourself, well, that seems to mean you can lose your salvation. And of course you would be fruitless. We're also told, you know, he uh, talked about the nation of Israel. He cuts away, you know, those who are unproductive uh, he grafts in, you know, adopted uh, believers. And so it would seem to imply that the branches are individual people. And and I, I wouldn't toss that analogy aside. Uh, that will hold some truth. Uh, but, you know, honestly, think about it. Does a branch really remove itself? I mean, it has to have the, uh, the husbandman uh, cut it out. It ain't had the, the husbandman. The, the farmer cuts a branch or prunes a branch. He does it rightly so. He knows uh, he's the final authority on what's good and what's not. But I, what really struck uh, the change of mind is that J. Vernon McGee says, no, this doesn't mean you lose your salvation. It just means fruit for the Spirit. That, you know, we... we if we're attached to Jesus as the uh, vine, then you know, the, the life-giving sap that flows through there is the Holy Spirit. And because we have this life-giving substance, we produce fruit. Even if it looks mundane, even if it looks like nothing spectacular to us, uh, sometimes abiding, day-to-day -day abiding, step-by-step -step through life, we manage to produce uh, fruit that remains, that is abiding. And sometimes we don't see those fruits. We won't, we won't necessarily see what kind of legacy that we leave, but it's these, the fruits, fruits of the Spirit, you know, Galatians 6, I'm sorry, 5, Galatians 5, uh, verses what, around 25-ish or so, and surrounding 22 to 5, I think, um, but uh, it's that kind of fruit. Do we have joy? Do we have peace? Do we have love? Do we have patience? Uh, and if we don't have those, well, that's when 
divine dresser comes and he might snip us back a little here, a little bit there, shape us, shaping our lives. He, this is when, if we're not producing uh, the right kind of fruit, he may come in and cleanse us. He'll take, give us some good soapy water and scrub us down with his word. Remember that verse? <laughs> uh, and this is why I said it. I, I changed my mind on what I changed my thinking on, you know, what exactly does it mean by fruit? Uh, is it, does it mean that as productive Christians, we have a, a whole trail of uh, salvation in our week where we have saved souls through our life and we can count how many people that we have brought to Christ and baptized? Well, I, I always thought that, and this is why if you think that, you might think that you're not fruitful. You're not living the abundant life. But maybe saving souls isn't your gift. Maybe that's not your fruit. But maybe hospitality is. Maybe love and peace, joy is. Maybe being patient is. Maybe just being a good encourager is. And in that case, you may be bearing fruit that you don't know about. This is the Bible Sojourner, where we discuss issues related to the Bible, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Peter Gaiman, professor of Old Testament and Biblical Languages at Shepherd's Theological Seminary. Shalom and welcome. Thanks for joining. You can also find out more about me and the Bible Sojourner blog and podcast at petergaiman.com. And you can also find out more about Shepherd's Theological Seminary at shepherds.edu. Who knows, maybe you could take a class with uh, Mike and I. So I look forward to uh, seeing your interactions with this book online. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Commands of Christ presented by Nathan Caldwell. Keeping the commandments of Jesus, it's simple yet profound, but Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's, it's simple, but think about it for a minute. People say, oh, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, but are you doing what Jesus wants you to do? Are you following the will of God as stated in the Bible? Because, uh, Keith, there are a lot of people now that claim to love Jesus. But there are certain verses in the Bible that make them uh, uncomfortable. Another thing is, and the way I said that before um, was more directed at others, but I think it should also be directed internally. Um, do I love Christ? Am I, talking about myself, and others need to ask themselves the question, am I keeping his commandments? How much do I really love Christ? And do we ever love him enough? No, but I'm telling you, we need to self-check quite often. That was Commands of Christ, presented by Nathan Caldwell. Quest for Truth, now located at life-truth.com. Parenting isn't about us. In fact, parenting isn't even about our kids. Parenting is just one way Christian dads and moms are to worship God. 
So welcome to the Truth Love Parent Podcast, where we train dads and moms to give God the preeminence in their parenting. I'm your host, A.M. Brewster, and today we bring our biblical parenting essentials. If you've ever wanted to have me visit your local church, your school, camp, some ministry of some kind, or home even to speak on how God would have us to parent our kids or any other family topics, please visit truthloveparent.com and click on the speaking tab. And please, of course, share this whole series on your favorite social media outlets so that other Christian parents can mature in their parenting. Subscribe to the show and follow it for weekly encouragement. And if you and or your family need some specialized and individualized help, please write to us at counselor at truthloveparent.com or leave a voicemail at 828-423-0894. Listen, I love you more than you realize. I love your family equally, and I'm honored to be invited to serve you at this important time in your life. So Lord willing... I'll see you soon. Truth Love Parent is part of the Evermind Ministries family and is dedicated to helping you worship God through your parenting. So join us next time as we study God's Word to learn how to parent our children for life and godliness. And remember that TLP is a listener-supported ministry. You can visit truthloveparent.com forward slash donate to learn more. And uh, I really wanted to go on at least to the next verse, but it'll wait. It'll have to wait and we'll get back to our uh, expository look at John 15. And uh, I don't want to drag this out any further, but I hope you did get some good important doctrines out of that, uh, abiding in Christ and being in the mind. And if your uh, fruits, fruits of the Spirit, uh, that was a big, uh, honestly, surprise for me at this age from doing this study. Uh, anyway, uh, here's our voice of the podcast, Anthony Russo, to uh, tell you how to find more about us on the interwebs and contact us. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks for listening. Visit life-truth.com where you can find all our shows. Leave a message or call our voicemail number at 401-753-4844. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash life truth page. Follow us on Twitter at HPNCast, capital H, capital P, capital N, capital C, A-S-T. Everything Nathan Caldwell does can be found at facebook.com forward slash protectors of the book. Music in the show is used by permission of Kevin Zerby at zerbinator.wordpress.com. May God richly bless you. May you find everything you need. And if you don't know Jesus, your greatest need is a savior. Thanks for listening.